Willkommen, dear listener, and welcome to Volume 3, Episode 4 of Weekend at Crombies, um, the lockdown edition, hopefully the only one, uh, but you never know, do you? And um, for this edition's um, film, we will be discussing Trespass. listener to Weekend at Crombies. I am Hugh. You just have to be philosophical. It's all crazy. As long as you know it's crazy, you're all right. As soon as you try and make logic out of it, it don't make no sense. And I am uh, Dr. James Evans Esquire, and I'm going to bus a cap in your ass. Delightful. (laughs) (laughs) Just before we go on, I'd like to say that that is an actual um, sentence uttered in the film <laughs> possibly without that diction <laughs> but anyway we are looking at uh, the 1992 trespass um not a later version made 20 years later with nicole kidman we had to check on that because it would have been a very short and amusing mm-hmm. podcast had we seen different films and try to discuss them but this was yeah. trespass uh produced by robert zemeckis directed by walter hill uh, and yeah. starring um Bill Paxton, William Sadler, and both Ice-T and Ice-Cube. The Ices. The Ices. I'm not sure if they ever, if the Ices ever met in another film. Um, but they, Meet uh, the Ices. Meet the Ices. But they, they certainly get kicked off into, into a um, movie career from uh, the rap artists that they are. But, and uh, it, 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 am, am I right in thinking Bill Paxton is R.I.P.? Yes, rest in power. Right? Rest in power. Bill Paxton died last year, I believe. Um, yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, yes. Yeah. A um, fine character actor. A fine character. Yes, went to soon. A fine character actor. Um, tried. Yeah, he did a few leading parts, like um, not Hurricane. What's the other one? Tornado. No, Twister. Tw- Twister. Um, but yeah. I, I you'll, felt... you'll get the you'll get the uh, the, the strong wind title eventually. <laughs> the big the big gust. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I always felt he he was he was better as a sporting actor because he could do brilliantly then. Yeah, exactly. As indeed could William Sadler. They're both kind of like we've got two great supporting actors supporting each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that this film has a lead actor, really, does it? Oh, this, it, this, it's this, an ensemble cast. Very much so. Again, not even a protagonist, we could argue. But let's yes. let's find out the story before we, we break it down. Um, it's a it's a fairly uh, by-the-numbers story. We uh, we begin with two Arkansas firemen um, doing a hot rescue in a burning building and a, and a crazy old man... Um, before he leaps into the flames, stuffs a map into their hands, saying, I stole from Jesus Christ, I'm going to burn in hell. Um, this before map, burning on Earth. Before burning on Earth. Um, we don't know where he goes to, but he certainly didn't have a good time on Earth. Um, so these two firemen are Vince, who's Bill Paxton, and Don, who's William Sadler. Vince is more the more... Um, almost like childlike he's very enthusiastic about things and he's very innocent with things he's the one that looks at this map and in this map is a, a fairly simple line drawing um a newspaper clipping about a robbery of of church gold that happened 50 years ago and an actual piece of a, a gold crucifix i think you're doing the map too much credit really you're giving it too much credit uh, it's 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 more simple than just a line drawing it's like a child's crayon picture <laughs> yeah it's basically three windows and a cross from that they figured out it's a church <laughs> no, it's not a church no, no it isn't is it no it's not no. yeah well there we go that's why i uh, am not a, a a map maker there we go cartographer, cartographer. yeah there we go. um so the, uh, they uh 
So they're in Arkansas, and they've worked out this this robbery happened in East St. Louis. So there's like two states they got across to get over there. But they they work out that this is an unsolved crime. Um, a million dollars or more in church gold has been stolen. Um, mm. from this newspaper article, they reckon this this old man was the guy that stole it and, and has lived with the secret ever since. And he's stashed the money away in this this warehouse that they've done a few phone calls and found is now an abandoned warehouse in this this derelict area. Yeah, so it's they, a pretty big leap of faith, but they they've gone with it, haven't they? Well, there's, there's derelict. No, that that there is actually treasure there, and it's not just some weird, you know. That is true, actually, yes. But they, but again, given it's a million dollars in gold, and again, so Vince Bill Paxton tells Don William Sadler, who is the far more pragmatic of the two, who's um, rather than "Oh, you've solved a crime, how exciting!" goes, "There's gold there, is there?" So he uh, yeah. he he immediately goes, "Well, let's just go and poke around, and if we find yeah. anything, you know, we'll, we'll we'll just take it for ourselves." So um, he convinces Vince that to, to drive up on the weekend and have a little outing to poke around in this this warehouse and find if there is any gold there. Um, mm. And and they they little chat, they find out, you know. Um, Don's got, you know, he's just got divorced, so he's got money. He's a bit hard up for money, and he's kind of moaning about paying his taxes. So he basically wants the gold for very monetary reasons. Vince is kind of excited by the treasure quest at the moment yeah. of anything else. Yeah, Vince is more simple, isn't he? Yeah. He likes the adventure. He likes the idea of finding the gold, not necessarily the financial um, kind of benefits that it brings. Uh, yeah. whereas, whereas Don is kind of like a hard-nailed... He's literally I counting it. As they, I want this money. Out. I'll need this money. I'll do anything I, I need to get this money. Yeah. So they the yeah so they get and this area is again it's like a, a war zone it's it's completely abandoned it's a complete wreck there's empty buildings everywhere and um, but quite sturdy which is which is one of the uh, <laughs> the points these buildings are built to last so they but find it's pre, pre satnav as well so they did well finding it that's a very good point yeah they just drive around they get they drive around they find the building with the it's got arched windows that's how they recognise where this this gold is stashed on the fifth floor of this derelict building so they uh, they uh, go up actually as they pan across there's a big gate that says no trespass and it cuts off before the in yeah. part of it so that's that's yeah. the, the title of the film although that was clearly clever edit because the title of the film was not always trespass as we'll get no. into in the analysis yes. but they um they wander around this place and they they find the floor they're looking for and just as about there to start to, they got a metal detector to sweep around and they suddenly get attacked um by uh by the, an unseen assailant, they they managed to overpower him. It turns out like he's just a, a vagrant who's living in the empty building, whose name is Bradley. Yeah, um, he's played by Art Evans. Indeed. Who, um, I have to say, I I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he must have been in other films, but you'd think he, yeah, don't know. I I think he was in Die Hard too, you know. Oh. Uh, he was. Yeah, that, I tell you what, that is good knowledge. I think he was. He was yeah. like he was like the radar guy. <laughs> in in Die Hard Two, he's called Leslie Barnes. As 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 was William Sadler, of course. Yes. He was the naked kung fu guy. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. So there we are. Um, so there's a reunion. So basically, um, having met this this, this vagrant and again, over, now subdued him. Uh, Don proceeds to tie him up and threaten him, whereas Vince was like mumbling something like, well, I thought we were going to split it with everyone we found. What happened? Of course, Don is in no mood to, to share any of his gold, even though they haven't found it yet, with anybody, much less, you know, some, some vagrant who he who considers, you know, less than human because he doesn't work and he just, um, basically, he, he has this big rant about how this guy lives off my taxes and I've got rent to pay and I've got a mortgage to pay and blah 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 and he's clearly already is, is very greedy about this gold he doesn't own yet the thing is this 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 vagrant this Bradley guy clearly doesn't live off the guy's taxes <laughs> he's living in a derelict building eating tinned baked beans without any heat yeah he's a he's a he's not again um, and 
it is it's it's he's naturally quite scared having been attacked by two random guys and tied to a chair. Um yeah. despite the fact that Vince is doing his best to apologize and tucks forty dollars into his pocket <laughs> yeah. as by way of an apology. Yeah. <laughs> which which is but um this is the kind of the first ramp up of you know, they've they started off as a treasure quest, now they've they've basically kidnapped someone. Yeah. Um, and then the plot thickens from there because elsewhere in this this derelict building, this abandoned lot has been chosen as the perfect place for an execution because mm. uh, a, a crew of gangsters uh, led by King James, who's Ice T, and a couple of his guys have. Uh, Which have is all... also what my nickname is at home. What Ice T? King James. I see. <laughs> Cheeky monkey. <laughs> I thought what your good lady demands when she uh, in the summer months. <laughs> Yeah, in a nice warm day, she demands iced tea. Iced tea, that's your name. <laughs> you know what you're called, iced tea. But uh, the gang, including, of course, Ice Cube, is a part there who's a Savon, um, and several others, uh, have, have come to meet with, um, actually, King James's brother, whose name's Lucky, has lured somewhere called Goose to this mm. this meeting. Goose is has been pegged for execution because he's he's done the gang the gang wrong. And and in fairly short order is flung off the roof and smashed to pieces. Um, is. except when once he's done that, um where Vince has wandered off to see what's happening and he and he immediately the whole gang clock him, looking a bit gormless yeah. in front of this dead body. So they, they, they crowd around Vincent asking quite um, naturally, what are you doing here? And Vince has no good answers for them. Uh, so it requires Don to jump out of nowhere, um, fire a few shots in the air with a gun that he's brought along, um, grab Lucky as hostage, and they all bundle into the original building room they're in, which happens to have a very secure door and a, yeah. and a people. So they, they, they're barricaded in now. It's essentially yeah. a very large panic room. Yeah, and there's, there's, a really, there's a really good um, uh, qu- quote from um, King James when 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 Vince um, dis, uh, you know is, is is discovered and they all kind of gang up on him. Vince says, "Look, you know, I don't want to get in the middle of no big gang hassle." And then Ice Cube says, "Gang, you think we some punk ass gang?" King James says, "I'm a businessman. These are my associates." <laughs> it's, a, it's just a brilliant line. It's like, oh, that sounds fantastic from Ice T. Coming from Ice T, I'm a businessman. These are my associates. I just think that's a brilliant line. It is. Um, so young Lucky, who's um, who's the youngest of the gang, who is King King James's brother, whom he's very protective of, um, is is kidnapped. So that's kind of preventing the gang from storming them immediately um, because they have a hostage, and they tie Lucky in front of the, the big door, so there's no bashing the door down or shooting through the door either. Um, so this is the stalemate they've got now. So uh, kind of King James goes to work, arming his gang and scattering them around the room, so there's no way out the back, there's no way out the top. They they are now surrounded. He then calls in reinforcements of more of gang members uh, to come along, and also kind of an independent contractor called Raymond. Um, who, yeah. who basically brings more and bigger guns, <laughs> which seems to be his contribution. Raymond is very flamboyant. He's in this uh, enormous teal uh, trench coat and hat. Yes, um, so I was about to say, he's got the most ridiculous jacket yeah. I've ever seen. It's like full length yeah. teal. Uh, it's like silk. So I can't quite work it's, out it's, what it's it is. Wonderfully in nineties. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's too big for him as well, isn't it? Yeah, and then and the the rest of the gang are dressed kind of quite normally in street gear. Um, even yeah. King James is is really conservatively dressed. He's in a, a shirt and a, and a coat and everything like that. But he could pass muster. Whereas yeah, Raymond is is very flamboyant. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this is the situation we find ourselves in. Um, I should actually mention one of the one of the early attempts by the gang to sneak up on the on the the room is foiled when King James gets a call on his very basic mobile phone yeah. um, with which, an aerial with an aerial and a flip down and you have to press a button to make it talk. Um, 
And this is actually how the gang communicating. Um, Ice Cube's got a phone, he's got one, so they, they kind of they come on a walkie-talkie. But um, this is a running gag for the movie, is that a chap called Marvin is keeps calling him to set up a deal. Yeah. Uh, and and Ice-T has to keep saying, not now, I'll deal with you later, we'll do that, but not now. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, that, that um, mobile phones in the early 90s were like, you know, obviously they were like rocks, weren't they? Big, chunky rocks. But um, cars had electric windows. They did. I was surprised at that. And even had remote... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- re- yeah, remote locks and, and um, electric windows. I mean, yeah. oh, I thought the I thought the 90s was pretty much analogue. <laughs> no, I think electric windows were a thing. Were they? Well, they yeah. obviously were. Yeah. Well, how, how, long, how long in your life were you still winding up windows like a peasant? <laughs> You'll be surprised. Um, until 2015... <laughs> My Just, previous car, it had wind-up windows. You still pump your own water in the back. <laughs> no, look, my previous car was... It, it, no, I don't. You. Okay, I just had wind-up windows, that's fine. In fact, now I've got electric windows. It's quite a luxury. Always fun. Although, I, I will say, I do. Got, I still haven't mastered the up and downness of the windows. I can't work out whether you pull to go down or push to go up. Yeah, so you always do you, you where you are with a windy handle. Yeah, you do. But um, nonetheless, what we have now here is basically a cat and mouse um, scenario where um, the two firemen inside the building, Vince and Don, are trying to work out ways of getting out. And again, King James and his crew are trying to work out ways of getting in. Yeah. So this sets up a number of things they try and set up. Uh, escapes, escape ways, the escape ways are shot down. They, um, they, they, um, they try and... Oh, there's one point where King James dresses up with his men as a policeman to, to lure the gang, the gang into coming out and get sniped off, and that fails as well. So a number of different stratagems are tried that, that keeps ramping up um, the pressure. They even try and storm at one point one of the gang is shot dead. Um, but um, it's during one of these times when um, the fireman inside are trying to detect where one of the gang is on the ceiling above them because he's wearing metal cleats in his feet. They try and sweep the ceiling with their metal detector, which is quite a good plan, but in doing so actually discover where the gold is stashed um, because they they (laughs) they managed to work out um, it wasn't in the floor, it was in the ceiling because this person who can't draw maps very well drew it on his back rather than drawing it on the floor. (laughs) Um, so now they they have their million millions of of gold all set up in a big belt, big old bag, but no way of getting out. At which point they essentially decide to cut in Bradley since they're dead anyway. And Bradley, in return for a share of the gold, tells them there is another way out. They can go through a chimney. Um, so yeah. they they work out they can they can zip up the chimney and jump off the roof and then they'll they'll get away. Um, they're actually ignorant of this fact that Raymond has discovered their car and torn it to pieces so there isn't actually a very good getaway car waiting for them but they're ignorant of this fact um, and they do they do work out that um, Lucky who they've still got spread eagle in front of the door is going to tell the gang immediately when they break in that they've gone up the chimney so they, they work out how to do it and after um, Vince won't countenance killing Lucky they decide well Lucky she's also um, a junkie so they can just get his stash and dope him up um, so yep. Lucky's the only person who knows how to prepare a needle, so he's instructing them how to how to do all this. Um, and but given that they're a bit clueless on how to find a vein, they untie one Lucky's hands so he can dope himself up. Whereas Lucky takes the thing and stabs Don in the neck with the thing. Um, it, 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 at the same time, um, pushing the plunger down as well. So. I noticed they had good 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 eyes. I noticed that. So Don's had a whole whole whack full of a whole dope. dose of heroin. Mm. Or whatever it is that he's had a whole dose of. Yeah, and not to mention a needle in the neck. Um, yeah, so he's not yeah. doing too good, which allows Lucky to make his break for freedom. But as he's trying to get away, he gets shot by the the, the besieging gang. So Lucky is now dead. Um, 
and this kind of tips King James over the edge. Um, of course, in the meantime, as Raymond was destroying their car, he discovered the map and the gold and the new article. So he's worked out what they're they here all, for. Yeah, everybody now knows that there's what gold. They, no, they, they don't, you see, because Raymond keeps it to himself oh, and only yeah, tell, he only tells Savon, who's Ice Cube, that there's a stash there, which allows so Savon and Raymond escalate matters um, again, shooting, pretending they're being shot at anything, yeah. which leads to. Savon is a kind of more. Um, he, he's the don of the gang, whereas um, King James is a little bit more um, kind of savvy, I suppose. Ice Cube is much more kind of. He, he's, he's a he's a firecracker, isn't he? He just wants he just wants to blow the place down. He just wants to kill everybody. Yeah, he's very King trigger James happy and, and yeah, exactly. he's, very he's a bit, not, and doesn't care much about Lucky, whereas um, yeah, King James is actually trying to de-escalate the situation because, he, again, he's he's the only one that remains completely ignorant about the gold throughout. He's trying to retrieve his brother as hostage, work out what these two guys are doing, and just get on with his life. Yeah. Um, but but now so now having so now Lucky's dead and Savon and Raymond have got their own plans. So they all discuss that burning the building down is the best plan. So the building is now set on fire, um, and again King James and his, his associates storm the storm the room. Um, finding that so another plan is Vince himself has gone up the chimney by himself to get help and yeah. um, Don, Don and Bradley are hiding um, Don kind of managed to sneak out get the jump on one of the gang and get another gun Ray Pony has a shootout with King James and they kill each other um, uh, and then uh, Savon appears and takes the gold off Bradley um, but then Raymond and Savon, um, who have fallen out amongst who has most of the gold, then shoot each other off as well. So, so uh, as the rest of the gang kind of hightail out of there, carrying their dead with them, um, Bradley then reappears, snatches up the gold and makes it outside. Yeah. And, and you know, at this point, the um, the building is ablaze yeah. um, and is falling down. And it, you know, it's you, you're not quite sure how Bradley gets out, actually. Um, he says, you, instead of going climbing up the chimney like yeah, he Vince goes did. Down he the goes chart. down the chimney and comes out through the furnace. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it, it, yeah, that, that is explained. And then, so then um, Vince is reunited with Bradley who tells him that, that Don is dead and that everyone else is gone and um, and that you know, the gold is burned up as well. So run for it, run for it. And Vince has tried to say, you know, Bradley, I'll take me with you, I'll look after you. And Bradley goes, no, bugger off. <laughs> and then yeah. as, soon, as soon as Vince is out of sight, Bradley just hefts up his stolen gold, um, chuckles to himself and then makes his way off. And that's the end. Yeah, and Brad- Bradley gets away with the stash. Bradley gets away with the stash. Bradley wins the movie. <laughs> he does. He does. In the, yeah, he does in the end. So that, well, was, that was a whistle, whistle stop tour, wasn't that it? That was a stop. Yeah, that allows us lots more time to, to sink our teeth into uh, into to press pass. So I think with that, we'll uh, take a quick break and we'll return for our, our deep dive. Lovely. Oh, welcome back, dear listener. And um, you have been privy to the record um, quick, swift run through of the synopsis of Trespass. Um, I think 18 minutes um, pre-edit. Yes, it may or may not have been influenced by the fact that James had to immediately go off and do a wee that we got through it so quickly. Yes. Yeah, so I, I will add, if I hadn't just gone to do a wee, either the next section would have been me being very quiet or... I would have rattled through this at such incredible speed that no one would have understood what I was saying. Um, however, uh, Hugh in his incredible graciousness has allowed me to pass urine um, in the appropriate bowl. Um, and so I am back. And Trespass was Hugh's choice for this month. Um, as we move into the analysis, um, let's begin with Hugh telling us why he chose the film. Right. So my history with the film is... 
I saw it a long, long time ago. So long ago that uh, a, a pre-streaming audience won't understand this, but I watched it <laughs> not from the beginning. <laughs> when I so did it, you walk into a cinema? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't quite see it in the cinema. I would have been. It was an eighteen, which didn't seem like an eighteen. It was an eighteen. It was an eighteen. Back in the day, it was. A you know what it is? Well, I, I know what that is. It's the. It's the. Uh, it's the number of MFs in it. Could be. I thought it was because it was the very graphic drug taking. No one actually took drugs apart from getting drunk. Ah, that's true. Bed, actually, that you saw, wrong, you they saw, tell you how to do it. Getting strained through a cotton swab and everything. So maybe that was it. But yeah. it certainly wouldn't be an eighteen these days. But no, I did not see it in the cinema. I would have been about. 14. Um, no, okay, fine. So, well, you um, did have a heavy moustache. <laughs> everything about me when I was 14 was heavy. <laughs> uh, so, no, I caught it on BBC Two a few years later, one of those kind of late night movies. Um, but I yeah. caught it um, very close to the finale. But I see what I, what, I, what I came up with, I think, was close to when Lucky is getting drugged and everything goes to hell. So, literally, I, yeah. I watched lots of characters, I didn't know why they were there, what they were doing. But I saw them. <laughs> if, if, you, if you'd walked in and that was the start of the film, you'd be thinking, bloody hell, this film is amazing. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I was like, I, I guess you, you grabbed a quickly. Think, okay, these two actors, I kind of recognise them. They seem to be the main fact characters. And then one of them gets stabbed in the neck. Like, okay, well that's messed up. And then all these characters <laughs> jump out of nowhere, double crossing each other. This is incredible. So, so was, within the first five minutes, <laughs> all of the main characters have been killed off. Yeah. The, the movie the lasted twenty minutes. Down. <laughs> it was only a twenty-minute movie, but my God, did it go with a fair pace. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was that I remember being the, the joy of you know just turning on the telly and watching whatever it is you sometimes just jumped into movies and had to really orientate yourselves quickly with what's yeah. going on which is quite fun nowadays you just you, know, you watch it at the time that suits you at most convenience to you um, that's true yeah there's something but, nice about about that way of um, it's something nice about not having all films available at all times, isn't there? You know, it's like you, 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 <laughs> you just that. So, given that we do weekend at Crombie's obscure film podcast, I like having films available at all times. <laughs> yeah, but yes, yeah, no, there's also something nice just about having to watch a film because it's on the TV. Yes, yeah, you know, and not it's the choice, isn't it? Sometimes it's the tyranny of choice. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Trespass is on the TV. I'm going to have to watch that because exactly, there's literally yeah. Yeah. nothing else to watch. Because otherwise, <laughs> I'd like to watch a movie. Well, I'll just choose from one of my favourite or one of the best or one of the most highly recommended movies. Yeah. Not just I'll watch whatever movie's on the telly because <laughs> it's on the telly because I would never have found it. Anyway, so, and then a few years later, I managed to catch up and watch it, I think, almost all the way through. I think, um, the, yeah, I've, I've now seen the whole thing through. Um, and I think I it was. Hope, in, I would hope through the process of weekend at Crombies. <laughs> I've now seen it through, yes, more than once. But I think it was. There was that point that I think it was like one of those movie movie night things where they introduced the film to you. Yeah, um, so yeah with the, Alex Cox. Yes, uh, with Alex Cox. Movie Drone. Movie Drone. I was thinking, was it called Movie Drone? Yes. Um, yeah, Movie Drone. I used um, to love Movie Drone. Oh, it was education. Um, yeah, it really, really was. And they, they, Mark Commode has taken over that mantle a little bit with extreme cinema kind of stuff but but Alex Cox and Movie Drone was the, the granddaddy of it well Mark Kermode took over from Alex Cox in Movie Drone yeah he did yeah, which he it was did. never the same um, uh, but Alex Cox yeah was, was introducing it and that was when they made the connection that it was essentially a light retelling of the, the tre- treasure of Sierra Madra yeah which have you seen I have then like 20 years later caught up and saw the treasure of Sierra Madra Mm. I love that film. I yeah. think it's an absolute classic. Yeah. Uh, very much worth watching for anyone who is interested in classic westerns and adventures. Yes, although it's it's it is in itself. A, again, I remember watching. This is a very unusual film, especially of its time. It 
Yeah, oh, definitely. I think it's, even it's now. its time. It's a brilliant film. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the treasure of the Shia, Sarah yeah. Landre. Although there, there is there is there is connections that we might make in the analysis. But anyway, yeah. so that was introduced to me. So I watched the whole thing through and then quite enjoyed it. And then haven't seen it for twenty years since. So I was very interested in in watching it to to see how it held up and just then the nostalgia of you know when I found a film with actors I vaguely recognised um, and everything kicked off. So that was the the motivation. It was felt and also it was a huge failure as a box office. That's the weekend at Crombie Staple. It barely made back its money. I think it maybe even made a made a loss on what it what it a cost just yeah. to make um yeah but it has some good actors in it and it has some good names behind it and again it wasn't i don't think it deserved the utter trouncing of yeah. the box office it, it received no well i mean there, there may have been some reasons as to why it didn't do as well in in, in at the cinema as, as it could have done we'll probably come on to that and i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let you lead into that element yeah. of the discussion yeah. um but but yeah i mean there's it, it certainly has it has um cinema kudos it has hollywood kudos to it certainly doesn't it with um the, you know walter hill as director and you know we'll come on to that as well i presume and, and robert zemeckis is the producer and scriptwriter. yeah yeah um you know so it's got a lot of it's got a lot going for it certainly yeah. Um, yeah. okay so that's that's why you chose the film uh as as i mean you know i hope you won't mind me saying as usual with a hugh choice it's a nostalgia piece isn't it it's it's something Very much. that's that has been dredged out of the bowels of your memory as something that was important when you were growing up, which is, you know, what Weekend at Crombies is all about. Indeed. Um, so let's begin with with a little bit of a deep dive into some of the themes and the analysis of the film. And again, because it's your choice, you will let you kick off and I'll, I'll, I'll chip in as appropriate and sometimes as inappropriate. <laughs> OK, I think one thing that struck me back when I first watched it and then reinforced today is that it's... I think it's amoral and it's deliberately so. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, this is a this is a film with that doesn't really have a protagonist. You'd think it would be the two firefighters. They're the two, um, I guess. I guess to a, a middle class American cinema, they're the relatable ones. They're blue collar yeah. workers. Yeah. Um, they're they're played by two recognisable actors, and they're the ones who are essentially driving the plot forward. But you you're not really on their side. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was. I, I think you're not really meant to be. There's um. Bill Paxton is kind of the cautionary voice of I don't think we should do this, but he's not really a, you know, a force for good. And William Sadler is, is definitely a force for evil in the sense that he is utterly driven by gold and he won't let anything stop him. Um, and he's, he's, you know, he's driven down this dark path um, and causes most of the problems. And it's, so, an interesting, it's an interesting point you raise there about the, 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 the lack of protagonists. There are no heroes in this film. And yeah. I, I, I would say that if, if anything, the, 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 character, the character that comes out of this best is probably i mean i wouldn't even say bradley the the the, the, the vagrant is yeah. he's not really a hero he's just there i mean king james is probably the, the the character with the most with the most interesting character arc yeah as it were he, he's he's almost like an omar character from the wire in the sense that the film is amoral but he he at least seems to have some guiding principles yeah and do you know what that that's that's what what turned the film around for me when i first watched it you know he, um ice t is leading the gangster crew and you're thinking well therefore he must be the bad guy he's, he's yeah he's leading the bad guys but um even though they begin with a murder they kill this this guy goose it's already been established sort of pre-credits that goose has already murdered one of his own crew so it's it's kind of an you know it's a retribution thing he's not just killing a man in cold yeah. blood he's 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 putting out justice to him and the rest of the performance he is again he is 
he's just trying to get on with his business. He's he's trying to de-escalate the situation. He's not he's not like executing his own henchmen for being wrong. He's trying to control some people who are very much out of control, like like Savon. He's trying to to, to to correct a situation that he doesn't understand. He's trying to rescue his brother. And in fact, if if there is a victim in all this, it's probably King James. He 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 doesn't mm. actually make any morally bad choices. Again. In so oh, other than murder, other than murder, but again, it's been established. Again, Goose is himself has, has yeah, killed yeah. one of his crew. So but, but, yeah, I'll, I'll right. actually come back to Goose's death because I think that may be an, an issue with the film. But other than <laughs> other than the murder, King James actually. <laughs> whereas, whereas, if we look at it, you know, um, for example, there's in at one point in the film, many points of the film actually, the, the firemen have an opportunity to back off and go away. When the, when the gangsters first arrive, they can cut and run. When they find Bradley, they could they could leave. When when things mm-hmm. get very hectic, they have a choice mm-hmm. to trade Lucky's life and get out of there. And even when, because we said there was fake police to lure them out, real police do turn up because of the shooting. And there was a genuine opportunity to shout out the window saying, help us, save us. Yeah. And and um, Don chooses not to take it. He, he literally has to wrestle and beat up Vince saying, we are not going to call the police now. We've got the gold. We can yeah. get away with this still. And almost that's like his moral decision that leads to his own comeuppance because he's done that. Um, well, if, if we are if we are using the treasure of the Sierra Madre as a as a kind of companion piece to that, yeah, yeah. Um, William Sadner is the the Humphrey Bogart character Absolutely. who 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 goes wild almost uh, a lustful need for the gold at all expense. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and you know yeah, there is no compromise with him. And in, I, I agree. I think in that regard, William Sadler's Don is him and Savon are the they're the baddies yeah. actually. Um, which is kind of appropriate because William, William Sadler looks evil. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He, he he is treated to a number of kind of rants that yeah. they, they're on a par with the with um, the, the treasures of Madras. There's a couple. You know, he's just screaming about how he doesn't have enough money. And he wants. He's screaming yeah. about how he wants the gold and nothing's going to stop him. And even the very end when he is absolutely messed up. You know, apart from being injected with heroin, having a jab needle in his neck, he's been punched around. He's fallen yeah. off a roof. He is yeah. a complete shambles. And he's got himself again. And he faces off against um, King James. With you know, the buildings on fire, he's literally in hell by this point. Um, it's nihilism, isn't it? At that point, there is it, it's there's no there's no way out, and so it's all guns blazing. Yeah, all, all he does, he, he mumbles that it's all about the gold, and then shoots yeah. King James. Um, yeah. And you so, yeah, he's he's yeah he's just gone downhill at that point. Um, but if you look at that, so there's the moral choice again: the fact that Savon and Raymond double cross each other for the gold and then kill each other. Um, because of that, they, they've made their choices too. It was like, you'd think Bradley, who's the, the tramp, you know, he is, in, to begin with, is the victim. He's just living his life and then gets attacked and tied to a chair. Mm. Um, but then once Bradley is given a little bit of power, as in when he's freed and made part of the gang, he makes some pretty dicey decisions too. He's the one saying, you know, don't call the police when you want this gold. Yeah. And he's the one saying, look, why don't you just kill Lucky? Just, you know, yeah. just kill him. So Raymond is, you know, in the moral, it's why I think actually the moral gets a bit muddied because Raymond you know, gets all the gold, but he's not morally clean in terms of what was happened there. Whereas actually no. the only person who is morally clean is King James. He's done he's done nothing almost for his himself and ends up dead because of it. Yeah, I mean you're you're right. The only the only the only well I say the only the questionable moral activity he does, the action, is the murder. Yeah. But much like Omar in the wire, he says you know, Omar in the wire will say, you know, um don't don't hate the player, hate the game, as it were. So you know, you don't. He, he, what King James is doing is working within a moral system yeah. within which the murder of a rival gang member is who has killed not, one of his own. It's not, not, is... not immoral. Yeah. It's not immoral. Is a moral act in that context. And so, in that regard, in its logical consistency, you accept that because it's part of the narrative of the film. And and actually, other than that, 
um, or, or including that, King James is consistent. Yeah. He's consistent in his actions. Um, and so, therefore, he is, I suppose, nominally the um, the main protagonist, or at least I wouldn't call him a hero per se, but he's he's he, he is he is the character that has that you end up feeling most for, which is a really yeah. odd situation. Yes, yes. I'd go, but then I didn't want him to die because no, me because yeah. I, I did seen where he'd gone with it. And um, however, though, I'll, I'll undercut this. He's not the protagonist because he is the only main character that doesn't know about the gold, and that's a big flaw, mm. I think, structurally because his ignorance of what is truly going on and actually what yeah. the stakes are undercuts i think the character of king james or at least you know ice tea does a very good performance of king james it's, it's a very it's good, very good performance it's, yeah, it's very yeah. good but because he doesn't true you know, he's, he's still asking what are they doing here when savon and raymond and bradley and don yeah. and vince all know what's at stake yeah. he is still to the point of his death still fumbling around and i think yeah, that, that yeah, removes right. he, he can't then be the protagonist of the film because he doesn't know what's at stake and it removes a bit of of his agency which is a shame um it, yeah it, it it also removes what would be a really interesting question which is if he did know about the gold what would his actions be then yeah so if he knew that the gold was there would he have the same kind of focus on rescuing his uh actually his half-brother yeah, lucky yeah, you know exactly. or, or or would or would the lure of the gold overcome him like it's overcome everyone else? Yeah, and how would the rest of the game? If, if he knew about the gold and still didn't care about the gold, I think then you would have a very strong protagonist. Yes, yes. But um, I think it would, it would be a risk for a film which at the time, I suppose, was angling for Hollywood success or critical audience success, I guess, to a certain extent, to have... Uh, an actor or a performer like Ice T as the main protagonist. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think I don't think that necessarily would have gone down in a comfortable way with with. I don't, we'll get onto this in a in a bit, but perhaps white America, I well, suppose, yeah. which is perhaps who yeah. you know who would be going to see the film. Well, you can address it now because again, with this ties on nicely. The fact that we're we're looking at this sort of this this film was twenty years pre-wire, um, and actually I guess the only the only things contemporary to it would be like. Boys in the Hood and New Jack City. I'm can't think about it. Society, maybe something like yeah. that. But it, but you know this this is again ninety two is very early on when you know previously there'd be kind of black exploitation and jive speak. So yeah. I think actually to to, to as, it, as it represents the way it does, it's actually quite quite good for ninety two. Yeah, it's not bad. I suppose I suppose there there are the there there are things in it which I find um, I don't really find them problematic at all because it, it, I, I think the film deals with quite a lot of that kind of politics the racial politics of it quite well and actually i think what walter hill and robert zemeckis do quite cleverly is that they don't get bogged down in um kind of racial or ethnic allegory you know that realistically they they they've made the film as uh a kind of a, a, a noir, I suppose, or a, a film which is about the lust for gold. It just so happens to be set in a particular environment and particular context within which there are two white firemen and um, a group of um, black gang members. You know, it's not really mentioned too much in that guy, so I don't really have a problem with that per se, but I think what, what the film does do um quite a lot which a lot of films on of that era and and perhaps in the 80s as well is represent the fear of white audiences of black men i guess to a certain extent and by that i mean um you have two white men um trespassing in literal and metaphorical terms onto the um 
the the turf um, of the other, as it were, the alien, the yeah. the, 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 the the black man, as it were. And in, in many ways, the, the the gang members, you know, the ISIS and the other gang members are the threat. Now they're not really the threat, actually, but they are the threat in the context of the the literal meta, uh, the literal message of the film. They are the ones trying to kill the two firemen. Um, notwithstanding the fact that the firemen are there for ulterior motives as well, they have trespassed on this and therefore these gang members are going to kill them. It's the it's the white American nightmare. You know, it's the middle class nightmare. Mm. And it, 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 there are a number of other films from the early 90s which do a very similar thing. One of them is called Judgment Day, where, um, um, you know, uh, white um, protagonists stumble uh, upon um, the, 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 the a drug bust that's gone wrong in, in kind of like, you know, dangerous gangland territory. And the rest of the film is them trying to escape black gang members, etc., etc. It is what it is. But it's one of those films where I think for what it does, it does it quite well. But it is necessarily within that kind of canon, within that trope. Yeah, so because of that, I don't think Ice-T would have got the lead role. And because yeah. of that, as as amoral as all of the characters are, I still think that the narrative drive resides within Bill Paxton and William Sadler. You know, the film is driven from their perspective to a large extent because the film starts with them, I guess, really, and it's their action and agency that drives the movie forward. Yeah, um, I think you're right in that. I think what you summed up there was, again, to call back to the film it, it drew from, how would you how would you represent, you know, um, white Americans going into, you know, into... Um, Mexico, yeah, yeah, lawless Mexico, but doing yeah. it on, on American soil. It's like going to a gangland territory where they 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 are, they are no longer they are no longer natives. They are the foreigners in this place. They don't, exactly. they, don't they don't understand the rules. And again, they need almost they need Bradley there to interpret what's going on because they, they do. Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah. He he is the translator. Yeah. Um, he's the translator into. Um, gangland language and I don't just mean the kind of the actual language I mean the physicality of it the the aggression the violence the, the, but the also, yeah, also, also the things you can expect because again they're going well someone's heard the gunshots when, when the police come around and who's is someone going to call the police and Braddy just laughs saying who's going to call the police the rats or the pigeons <laughs> yeah exactly um, but it, it, it's it's exemplified by a, um, a a kind of monologue by Ice T in it as well and I, I can't remember the exact words but um it, it says something like basically you know it's crazy you you, you referenced it in, in your quote at the start it's basically crazy he says that you know um that the, the white man um you know brings the drugs into the country gets the black man to sell it then he arrests a black man who goes to jail etc etc it's crazy if you think about it it's crazy yeah. and and i think what the, it's both it's both a benefit and a bit of a um, challenge of the film as well. So it's got some good things and bad things about it. The good thing is is that Trespass you can read at one level as having that kind of socio political allegory to it, um, but it's not so in your face that you can't just enjoy the film as a straight up piece of entertainment. Yeah, you know you don't have to think about it too much. It doesn't dwell on it. But equally, I think because it doesn't dwell on it too much that there are gaps in the way that the story might be told. You know, a more successful film might be a bit tougher in the relationships between the, the white and the black characters. You know, um, it, it's, it may be more, it, it might need to be more realistic in that regard. It might not have been more critically successful, but it might have been, uh, sorry, it might not have been more successful financially, but it might have been more critically successful as a consequence of that. So, you know, I, th I think that it's, it's, What's enjoyable about it is that you can read it at one level as just being an entertaining romp about 
um, a couple of uh, people trying to find gold and, and and some other people trying to kind of defend their 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 kind of um, you know uh, their kind of gangland kind of kind of morals I suppose in that regard and on another level you could read it as it's the middle class American white nightmare you know it does both of those things quite well but it probably doesn't do both of those things brilliantly yeah but again it also comes with the third aspect of um, again from the, the the black American gangsters perspective or the 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 um, the 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 broken down neighborhoods is that the the only chance any white guys came in there was when they wanted to take something from them that's yeah, only, at the same time true. this this place had notice and even within that um you know Raymond looks down upon the gangsters because even they're just exploiting it you know this is where Raymond li- not Raymond um Bradley this is where Bradley lives yeah where Bradley lives and the gangsters only come here when they want to do something out of out of police eyes whether to kill someone or anything so everyone is exploiting everyone else and kind of Bradley's at the bottom of this pile here um and so that's an interesting thing too is again where trespass comes in the whole the whole thing and previously we'll come to the the, the title change but it was called looters and previously it was the 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 title of the film very much implies that the two the two firemen again our, our ostensible protagonists are going somewhere they don't belong and taking something mm. that's not theirs mm. yeah and of course the name of the film the title of the film was changed due to the la riots which took place around the same time that it was supposed to be released yeah uh, and obviously they felt that the, the title Looters would, was perhaps a little bit too incendiary for the, for the kind of process that was happening there. So they changed it to Trespass. Um, anything else you want to mention about the analysis of the film? Yeah, I think um, I'm going to again take a little look at the structure of the plot, because what you've essentially got here is a cat and mouse. Um, yeah. you, you have a, a fairly fixed location and a fairly fixed problem. You've got the guys inside the room um, who with, with certain cards to play and a much more overwhelming force outside it with, with who want to get inside. So they, they've got some very you know good motivations to find out each other. And I think when you've got that, that is, again, fairly static, I think you have to... There's, there's, there's structures you have to go through and, and ways you can escalate the tension and still keep it interesting because otherwise you are just stuck in the same location physically yeah, and yeah. emotionally. Um, and to quickly reference, I think, a film that does this absolutely brilliantly. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Panic Room. Oh, so uh, this is very you know we normally have a what film would you recommend um, <laughs> panic, panic room, pan, panic room uh, was the film i was going to recommend yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, so, it's a fantastic film and it, that's actually it, a really underrated movie is it though is it Cause I, well, I, I wasn't going to pick it because i thought it's too well known but if am i wacky yeah it's, i think yeah. it's too well known yeah but i just think it it deserves more yeah yeah, so yeah, as, as a quick overview, I, panic panic room is simply that a, 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 someone in a panic room and guys trying to get inside. Um, and I think it is a masterclass in yeah. how you take a static cat and mouse thing, and firstly keep adding problems and solutions mm. um, to the, the people. The people because um, Jodie Foster is inside the panic room trying to get out. Forrest Whitaker and his gang are inside trying to get in or outside trying to get in. The things happen. Um, the tension ramps up. The things escalate, and throughout the entire film, though essentially you're left with the same problem so much has happened in such an exciting way you are pulled yep. right through the film in a, in a great tension and yeah. excitement I and it's think, a really it's a really tight it's a tightly wound film yeah. as well because I, I think yeah. it's i think it's just about 90 minutes long yeah and in that 90 minutes it the the, the arc of the tension is absolutely brilliant yeah. it takes you to the highs of the trembling sweat inducing tension yeah. through to the exhilaration of escape and oh, it's just fantastic film. yeah so I think with this actually, it's this is kind of the the not perfect version of it. It's it's it's, it's the same idea of Panic Room, but there's a couple of things wrong with it. I think that that uh, that don't quite do it. Firstly, I think um, 
the gang, so um, King James' gang, is too overwhelming. There's like nine yeah. of them by the end of it yeah. surrounding these two guys, and they've all got all the guns, and they own all, they, 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 they all the territory around it. They are too powerful, which means that they don't have an awful lot of problems other than how to get in. They, they don't have to spread themselves thinly. They don't have to worry about who's going where. They've got every exit covered with more guns than they can manage, and that's quite an overwhelming problem. Whereas... By contrast, the guys on the inside, the firemen, have Lucky as their hostage and who will threaten to kill if anything happens. So almost their, their solution, their, their, their security, is also too overwhelming. Yeah. So there's very little give. They, they can't, you know, the, the gang can't do much. They try a few probing attacks, but they can't do much without risking Lucky. And the, and the guys out inside don't really have any options of getting out because there's, they're just too around. So I think actually that shuts things down a bit too much. They could have made the gang less powerful and had a bit more toing and froing. So that was one I, thing. I completely um, agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things I was going to say yeah. as well. I think it's it's too lopsided. Yeah. Um, it's too lopsided in numbers and it's too lopsided in um, kind of uh, consequence. Yeah. For it to really, you need it balanced out a bit more. Yeah, and they, it could have been balanced out more. Just the original, because there's five of them, they call in four more guys. It could yeah. have been balanced out a bit more with just five of them, thinking, oh, we got to go on this roof, but the side, and they're getting out, and how we do this. Yeah, exactly. And they could have been, and it allowed the gang to be more creative, because the moment the gang, because they had such an advantage, seemed a little bit hapless in terms of how to get in there. Yeah. Um, there's one thing. Um, the other thing is, um, there's no ticking clock. There's, there's mm. apart from the stage of food and water, there's nothing there that is pressuring either side to get on with it. Yeah, get, to do it. Yeah, lucky is lucky is needing a, a fix of, of dope, but you know, he's not going to die because of it. So that's that's a discomfort. But there's nothing like anything that needs to hurry anybody along. No. And if they could they could sit it out, couldn't they? They could sit it out for weeks, which makes decisions that they make problematic or unbelievable. Almost. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, had they again, we were taking you know just a had they done something like. Um, you know, the gang has come here not to commit a mur- not to execute Goose, but instead they've come here to do a deal. And another gang is coming along, say at six o'clock, yeah. and they've yeah. got to sort this out quickly. Otherwise, yeah. they'll, 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 so that there's one that could have been one tick clock. They could have had had some kind of pressure pushing this forward and making things ramp up. And to mention actually Goose's death, I think they could have done away with all of that. Firstly, because again, the morality thing of you don't need to execute a guy and have death there. But secondly, if you it, it began quite well, actually, ramping up the things. Firstly, you're just on an excursion and you're looking around a building. Mm. Um, they actually find another guy who's hanged themselves. Um, Vince and Don find a, a, another vagrant who's killed themselves. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a bit creepy. And then they take Bradley and they take him prisoner. I think, well, this is a bit... And Vince is saying, this is going a bit far now. We came here to find gold. We're not tying someone up. And yeah. things are going up very, very slowly. And then someone gets killed. And that's too yeah. soon. I yeah. think they, they should have... They could have had the gang just find them there. And, yeah, they did this whole kind of intimidating argy-bargy. And things get a bit rough and tumble and then they they lock themselves in the room and if if someone had died a little later on in the in the process it would have been like whoa now someone's yeah. dead and it would have been much yeah. more kind of things are kicking off but because death is already there it's there's nowhere else to go that's more dramatic they you know another, yeah. guy, another guy they've already done it haven't they and yeah. i suppose i can i can understand where the filmmakers were going because what they wanted to do was to say that these gang members mean business yeah. they're not going to take any prisoners but actually the the, the problem with it is is that the the, the consequent um, it's, it's probably about another half an hour to 45 minutes before someone else is killed. Yeah. And in that period of time, King James tries everything he can to be relatively diplomatic. Yeah. So it's kind of contrary to what you've seen first thing. Yeah. And given the fact, again, Don and Vince have now witnessed a murder, um, mm. there's, there's no... 
they both sides know they're not going to talk their way out of this. Whereas if there'd been mm. a chance that you can negotiate out of this because no one's really done anything bad yet, and you can yeah. maybe, and there's like a sliver of because even when because King James tries to negotiate almost at the very end of the film, but yeah, you does. know there's no there's no way that either one side is going to trust the other side. So yeah, no. you, you needed you needed to ramp up a little more. So that was that was one thing. And but also I, the, 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 at the end, you say you know it's toward the end where King James starts to to, to think about how we can like, actually talk their way out of this. A film like this is never going to end in diplomacy is it you yeah. know it's not going to end in diplomacy yeah. the ending of the film isn't going to be everyone walks off yeah. with a split of the gold and and, and like a handshake yeah <laughs> so the, the threat is not you know it's not the threat but you know how it's going to end so let's just get on with it yeah um and i guess that the third thing again with terms of ramping up the tension is i mentioned it before is not everyone knows about the gold and that's an issue yeah, because big, because yeah. this is film is about the gold. that's the big mcguffin that's pushing everyone forward yeah. and the fact that I mean it's it's you know the fact only Raymond and, and Savon shoot each other at the very end does it. But if that knowledge say when because when they pull the guy at the ceiling, um, Vince actually falls off his chair and he collapses to the floor. If like a goblet had tumbled out the window mm. and the the entire gang had known there was gold there, if that happened earlier in the film, that would have really ramped up because now the entire gang knows there's a million dollars in this in this um, in this thing. They'd all be desperate to get in there. Savon would be much more out of control. No one would trust each other. King yeah. James would have a much, as you say, much more morally thing about what's Lucky's life worth and how do I control this gang. And so all of a sudden, the gold is spiralling everybody out of control, and it doesn't yeah. do that enough. It's basically something they fight about. It basically drives Don crazy. It yeah. kind of sends yeah. Raymond and Savon, although that's quite peripheral, really. That's kind of just another shootout, um, and it allows Bradley to get away with the loot. But apart from that, it's not central enough. And that's because it's not known enough. No, I agree. Uh, for me, the biggest the biggest crime in that, I guess, really, is not allowing King James to have that moral dilemma. Yeah. I think I think that the film would have notched up a level or two if if um, if King James had to make that decision about the gold or or lucky, yeah. basically. And um, you know, he he could have been an incredibly redemptive character in the film if. He chooses lucky over the gold. I mean, that would have been a really in, that would have been a fantastically provocative way to end a film where you have the, the, the drug kingpin, as it were, making a moral decision about choosing the life of a family member over gold. Yeah. But actually, yeah. the film kind of cops out a little bit by not telling him. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, and I think there was a, you know, they could have, they could have plotted their way around that. So I think the plot may just need a little bit of tightening and a, again some tweaks here and there that to to make it more of a through line. It's yeah. like I say that it's it's hard to get right. That's why we only mentioned one film that gets it, I think, really really well. It's hard to to get all these pins in one place, especially you know post production and make sure everyone knows where. It, but I think that's a letdown of the film. It could have been a very tightly structured, very yeah. interestingly set plot I also think actually one thing is the gang decided to burn the building down um, I think it'd be more interesting if the firemen had done that given that they know how buildings burn and yeah. they, could, they could have been so desperate as to um, you know let's just burn the building and cause enough chaos that we can get out here alive yeah. I think it's, it's as been as quite if we've had this conversation done. before Hugh because I was going to say exactly the same thing <laughs> they, they know. so I, I was just thinking to myself we haven't what, by the way <laughs> yeah, no we haven't what a great escape route that would be yeah. by planning out the burning of the building yeah. because they will have a good understanding of how how things burn, the, the the nature of fire, what it does, what they need to do to protect themselves. They could have planned an escape route through the shaft of the chimney yeah. and worked that through. And it would have been a really interesting way of ending the film or, or pushing the film forward. You have two firemen in that situation using their knowledge of fire 
to escape from the building. Now, what I would have expected to have happened in that is that Don would still have lost his life, yeah. but it would have been the irony of it that he would have lost a life in the burning of a building that he set off in the first place. Yeah. Now, that I, again, that would have been fantastically um, uh, provocative in that regard as well, that they are using those skills to, to, to the detriment of the building, as, as it were. I thought, yeah. yeah, I, I thought that myself. I thought, they've missed, to- they've missed a total trick here. Yeah, we've got a remake on our hands here. Yeah. Um, I, I would add that there's, there's, there's probably a fourth thing that I think is problematic with the structure of the film as well, and it's maybe less of an issue, but unlike Panic Room, which the, um, the, the setup is so fantastic because it is a panic room. It is one room. It is a tight, confined space. I mean, it's in a house, yeah. but it is in a room itself. I, I, I feel that it, in some respects, the building that Trespass is set in is too big and too unwieldy. Um, so it, it, I don't get the claustrophobic feel that you do in a film like Panic Room, yeah. where um, there are other rooms. You know, I almost felt like there are too many ways that they could escape, yeah. but they didn't do any of it. Um, and it really, the, the threat and the danger of the film was when occasionally Vince wandered in front of a window, <laughs> and a sniper, you know, from one of the, from the gang would would fire at him, yeah. and you think, well, you know, just stop doing that, but, you know, or or there's a there's a, a, a kind of like a wooden or rusty corrugated iron um, bridge going from one bit of the dilapidated building to another that someone guns down with a machine gun, you know, it's almost like there are too many there are too, too many ways to escape. They have to they have to find a way. It's too yeah. easy. Was panic rooms quite panic rooms like a puzzle? Yeah, yeah. Really clever puzzle because there doesn't seem to be any way in or out. Whereas with trespass, there's too many ways in or out. Well, it's not only that; it's the fact that again, um, when he needs to produce it, Bradley mentions there's a chimney to get out, yeah. which we didn't know about. When the when the door is actually broken down, there was a side room that Bradley and a very doped up Don scurry into to hide, which we also we didn't know there was a. We didn't know about. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's cheating things, you a little bit. Isn't things things yeah, things appear as they're needed to. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in Panic Room, what you see is what you get. Yeah. And that, I think, it makes it much tighter, much more, much more kind of satisfying piece. Now, I feel like I've been a little bit negative there. There are, there are a few things I really like about the film, actually. Um, I, I, I think it is. It has a propulsion to it. It's always engaging. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always entertaining in, in, in a lot of ways. It's flawed, absolutely. But there wasn't a point in it where I was um, bored in any way, shape or form. I thought Ice-T put in a brilliant actually a really brilliant too strong a really good performance i mean he's playing type i guess but he adds he adds you know a certain nuance to it um and i i I really enjoyed the soundtrack actually as well by rai kuda um it has this kind of weird jazz jazzy kind of um inflected score to it which I, i think was an interesting choice because it would be very easy in the film like this to have the, the the soundtrack to be kind of all blazing early 90s hip hop yeah and it doesn't go down that road it goes down into a kind of somber jazz chamber piece type sound and i think that worked really well for, for what the film was trying to do now you get diegetic music in cars which are kind of hip hop kind of sounds and the 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 the, 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 the music that the the, the the gang members are listening to is is there in the background but the actual propulsion of the film is driven through the soundtrack which i which i liked a lot Okay, that's very good. Uh, anything else to add to this? I think I've um, tapped out into... The, the, the only other thing I wanted to add, and this is what I liked about the film as well, and um, it, it's, it, it solves a lot of problems in the film as well. Uh, it doesn't solve the kind of structural issues that we have, but it does, it does solve some of the decisions, the, the kind of weird decisions that people make. So 
for, for me, you've got you've got someone like Bill, you've got someone like Vince, Bill Paxton, and and, and Don William Sadler car- character, who, for all intents and purposes, uh, um, uh, should get out there as quickly as possible, um, but they don't, and they don't because of the gold, and the gold in this is a really really good MacGuffin. And uh, you mentioned it briefly about the gold is why is why they're there basically. Yeah. So it, 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 and I, I like there's something about. And maybe this is a very personal thing or a very kind of idiosyncratic thing, but I like films where there's a treasure map and I like films or maybe not a treasure map per se, but a puzzle that needs solving or they, they need to find something. And the, the the drive and the lure of the thing that they want to find is so all encompassing and overwhelming that it takes over everything else. So you can forgive their ridiculous decisions that they make. So why why in a situation where they have taken hostage a gang member are they still looking for the gold? Yeah. You know, why are they still concerned about the gold? Why are they Why are they still there? Why are they still I- I- doing that? And it's because of the lure of the gold. And I just really like that. It's something that was very strong in the treasure of the Sierra Madre as well, which kind of like it. it that that lure, I, I find very, I find it very. Um, I'm lured by it myself. I, you know, it's the same thing in like the Goonies, for example, which is about the treasure. Yeah. I, I, there's something about the adventure of that, about the gold itself, which I really like. Um, I, I also quite like the fact that we're not talking about gold bars either. We are literally talking about goblets of gold. <laughs> it's quite funny. And in fact, the only bit of gold you see is the goblet. Yeah, you see the grail. Yeah, you see, you see, you see kind of a, a cassock. Oh, it's a cassock with the the, uh, the crook, the, the shepherd's Sorry, crook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's mostly the goblets what they have. And indeed, um, kind of Bradley has a hushed tone about how the gold never tarnishes, and it's the same for thousands of years. And even this yeah. little bit of gold, thousands of men must have fought and died over it. And it's probably true. You know, if, if it came from Greece, then it's probably exchanged hands a hundred times, and people just killing each other for that little bit of gold. No, I, and I, I like that a lot. That that for me was one of the biggest kind of uh, in, in, enjoyable bits of the film. It, it, you know that 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 um, overwhelming lure of the gold itself. It, it, you know, it takes over your kind of being, as it were. You you you, you go a bit crazy over it. I re, I re, I don't know what it is. I mean, it do, it doesn't make the film any better or worse. It's just something I enjoy in yeah. films like this. There has to be something that stops them from leaving yeah. or stops them from stops them from just doing stupid things because doing the stupid things keeps them there and keeps the tension up yeah and it's it's, it's that yeah that um they have the chance to to take the the morally correct action but to do mm-hmm. so yeah but uh, but going the greedy way for the gold damns them anyway but again yeah, exactly. i like i like a nice nice nihilistic shootout and the, the, the end when they're building on fire and literally everyone is killing each other and grabbing the gold off of the next dead corpse is, yeah. is yeah. really quite fun um and the, ca- the camera kind of pans in on everyone who dies as well it's kind of like a, a, a kind of a musical cue when they zoom in on each, each yeah. lifeless body which yeah. actually doesn't include ice cube which um who no, is implied to have he's ending, yeah they have to reach, he's implied to have died basically he's he shot a couple of times and guns down Raymond in return who Raymond is definitely dead because they zoom in on Raymond's dead body but the audiences test, test audiences didn't respond well to all the ices being dead no um, you need one ice you, to, it's, you know he's, he's figuratively the last dead. ice standing but again that, that would have I think, I think that was probably a, a good call in not in sort of sparing Savon who kind of deserves his comeuppance but yeah. um, otherwise it almost felt at the very beginning is this going to turn into Die Hard as in, you've got your, <laughs> your 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 American blue collar heroes surrounded by you know the bad guys with uh, yeah. and, and they'll be plinked off on one and that doesn't happen. They, um, there's, a, there's a bit of a body count at the end, but it's, some of the gang just go away. Um, um, mm. Again, the sniper who accidentally kills Lucky just goes, oh, "Sod this, I'm off." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just tell yeah. him it was my fault. And the rest yeah. of the gang, you know, just literally just 
There's a, well, there's a point when one of the gang is going to execute Bradley and the other guy just says, look, we're not here to kill Helm Patel's yeah. tramp. Let's just go. Um, so, yeah, suddenly they just leave. So it's not like they have to plink them off one by one, um, Die Hard style. And so that means three actors are in Die Hard because uh, Lucky was played by the chap who was Argyle. Oh, really? That's interesting. Argyle the limo driver. So you've, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got oh, yeah, of course. That's where I've seen him, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Imagine it. him not spreading a door and going to um, drug drug shock, and yeah. he's uh, and that's Argyle. So ah, he's a good actor. Okay, he's a great character in that as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, listeners won't know Hugh personally, um, but Hugh is a. Somewhat well, given our listeners are friends and family, they might. No, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, a lot of you will know Hugh personally. Actually, <laughs> my wife listens to this. She does. <laughs> if you know Hugh, you'll know that he's a he's a really lovely man. He's a family man. He's um, very conscientious uh, and uh, uh, you know is always you know uh, takes time to um, consider who you are and your feelings and your emotional kind of processes so it's always nice to hear you saying i really love a nihilistic shootout oh, um I, that's I always fantastic when when people who have no moral core gun each other down <laughs> that, that's my bread and butter <laughs> the games i had as a child when the, uh, the transformers would all just have a mexican stand shoot off and they'd all be dead by the end yeah, exactly. Well, that's the fun bit. Isn't Absolutely, it? the body count. Nobody wants to survive. Yeah, body count. That's the main body count. Um, we've 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 mentioned um, a few a few films that um, we would recommend um, listeners might also dip into after they've uh, partaken of a little bit of trespass. So we've mentioned the treasure of the Sierra Madre, which you know is is a is a classic film. I, I, I think um, that's that, again, that's a film that's probably on everyone's bucket list. I would certainly recommend yeah. watching. That. Absolutely, I'd recommend that just. Again, not for its own. I think it follows the some of the emotional beats of this film. And if you've seen both, you can connect the dots. But you could yeah. watch, you could watch them independently and not make the connection at all because yeah, you could. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not, not like it's a big, big, big remake, but it's, no, but it's no. it's a fantastic film. It was a fantastic film. It's it's well, it's a a hugely unsettling film of its time. Watching it now is likewise because you don't expect a film like that. To, you wouldn't expect a film like to be made now. It's it's hard to go into it without spoilers. But stuff happens in that film that you think, wow, um, this is unusual. Yeah, very much so. There there, there are some very distinctive um, decisions made in that film, which 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 means that it holds up well. It holds yeah. up really well. The other film that we've obviously mentioned is Panic Room, which is which is you know a very good David Fincher film. When, um, when I say that it's underrated, I suppose it's a, it's considered a bit of a lesser David Fincher film, really. You know, when you think about David Fincher, you yeah. think about Fight Club, you think about Seven, you think about Gone Girl. Nobody talks about Panic Room. I was about to mention. Um, I think it's my favourite David Fincher film. Now I think about it, it's well, it's so it's well put together. And yeah. it's so good, um, and it doesn't have any any kind of any kind of the, the the baggage that a lot of other David Fincher films come with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I've mentioned Judgment Night, which is a similar kind of kind of um, f- film to the 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 the, 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 the you know the, the white the white men in peril, I suppose. <laughs> the other the other film I wanted to mention was another Walter Hill film called The uh, Warriors, um, which is you know it's, oh, yeah. it's a very very famous film actually. Where um, and the only reason why I mention it is obviously it's, it shares a director, but also it's a film about. Um, a group of people trying to get from one place to another place without being killed. So the Warriors is is a, a film about um you know rival gangs in New York, different kind of boroughs and different areas in New York, and there's one rival gang that gets caught in in a, in a rival gang's um territory, and they they spend one fateful night trying to get back to their own territory. Okay. Um, and well, you know. It's, yeah, you should watch it. It's very good. It's parodied fantastically in um, Ron Burgundy. Um, uh, what's the Ron Burgundy film with um? Is it, is it, what's it called? 
the Will Ferrell film. Anchorman, The Legend of Long Burgundy. Yeah, yeah, Anchorman. Yeah, it's 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 parodied brilliantly in Anchorman, where um, they have different news readers doing the kind of warriors, um, the tribal kind of activity. So I, I'd recommend Warriors. It's okay. it's uh, late seventies, um, very good. It's almost it's almost a kind of science fiction film in the sense that it's got a bit of Clockwork Orange about it, where these all of these different gang members have very distinctive clothing and they have very distinctive kind of lingo and. Um, uh, weaponry and all that kind of stuff. So you'll have their own kind of very specific things. It's like a samurai film almost. It's very good, uh, very okay. much worth watching. And that's a Walter Hill film as well. You know, it, it, so Trespass has has uh, a, a, a lot of films that kind of kind of feed off it, I guess. Really, any others from your perspective? Uh, no, Panic Room was the one that, that sprang out of me. And again, it was Treasure City at Madras. So that's what I've got. Good, good. Okay. Anything else you want to mention about uh, Trespass? Uh, no, we've we've touched upon the. Um... The, the the change of its name because I think again whether that was influential on its box office success or lack of um, mm. I think also just thinking about it this was you know 92 we talk about this is the age of Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park this is this yeah. is not the kind of film you'd you'd tell no, about to this see. is multiplex cinema no. this is early early 90s although it is odd though isn't it it's not multiplex cinema but it is written by Robert Zemeckis, yes. who, who is a multiplex god, you know, Back to the Future, um, Forrest Gump. Um, I mean, there's loads of films Robert Zemeckis has done. You, just yeah. like, you know, you can reel them off, can't you? It's an incredible um, range of films that he's, he's either directed or written. Yeah. Now, he, he, Zemeckis is up there with people like Spielberg and George Lucas as one of the quintessential 70s and 80s big budget Hollywood blockbuster type success stories right yeah yeah he made this um or he he wrote this anyway although i did read this was written before back to the future they couldn't get funding for it and it was passed around a little bit and then walter hill took it up as and he wanted to make a tougher more kind of gang oriented film in that regard so that's what happened here i suppose one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the uh, there's an unusual style one of the gang members is always touching a camcorder so there's a lot of yeah. almost found footage elements when it's just that black and white grainy of the gang the chatting to the camera or getting ready and thought it i'm not sure what it adds to the film but it certainly doesn't, sets it out it, of its time it certainly says it's of its time it doesn't really work for me because i, I it, it feel it feels anomalous i wonder what he's doing there and really would gang members want their murderous activity to be filmed i mean this is pre this will be pre you know uh, social media pre youtube pre all this kind of stuff which which might mean that individuals would want the kudos for stuff like this right but i just think in that kind of environment in that context yeah. it wouldn't that wouldn't have happened which you know, i thought exactly the same thing but then reading around the notes apparently that was a thing that gangs did at the time so they they, they took that really? from as inspiration of gangs oh, like really? to film themselves whether they filmed actual murders or just them posing or whatever they probably wouldn't have filmed the murder but i imagine they could easily film each other posing with guns and, and chatting to the, the screen so yeah that probably was was reality but doesn't doesn't seem like reality is so daft yeah and i suppose you know if you look at um hip-hop music videos from that era you know, i think like wu-tang and stuff like that, they're all very grimy and low budget i mean deliberately so which are you know people posturing in front of cameras and so maybe maybe uh, it, it didn't it didn't really work for me but yeah. you know if you know i suppose if it, if nothing else it shows that i was never a gang member in um in um st louis yeah. in um, 
the early 90s. One more thing, actually, which, which did strike me now now I'm watching the credits, is the, the, actually the, the order of billing. Um, oh, yeah, who was what, first on the order of billing? Bill Paxton was first, which is natural because actually he was the biggest box office star at the time. He, he, he had Aliens too. He had Aliens behind him. He had Weird uh, science. Weird science. He, he was. <laughs> he had a few, he had a few yeah, yeah. failed attempts at being a lead actor, but he was certainly the most bankable yeah. of the lot. Well, I um, think he was quite big because he, he, he was associated with James Cameron quite a lot, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, but then Ice-T is next. Um Oh. Followed by William Sadler and Ice Cube, and that's true on the the opening credits and also on the posters. It, it's it's deliberately divided, and I wondered if that was because maybe Ice T was marginally again more successful, more recognisable, successful than William Sadler. And that's how the billing goes, um, or whether they just didn't want to have you know the two white guys at the yeah, front and centre, um, and they wanted to actually break it up between. This is not a case of these are the protagonists and these are the the bad guys. It's just just these are the yeah. characters. Well, I mean, you, you, you forget that, you know, oh, I don't know whether you forget or not, but, but Ice-T uh, and, and Ice Cube, actually, for that matter, in the early 90s were incredibly successful rap artists. I mean, yeah. Ice Cube was part of NWA and Ice-T in his own right, but also he, he helmed a, a, a metal band called Body Count as well. Yeah. Um, and, and they were incredibly successful. They were controversial figures um, so they were infamous in many ways. Um, Ice-T had recently released uh, um, a song called Cop Killer, yeah. which was on the um, the Body Count album, which he'd released around the same time. So he was in the spotlight for, you know, very controversial reasons. You know, obviously, um, Ice Cube would, would um, go on to release America's Most Wanted, America spelt with three Ks, as in the Ku Klux Klan, yeah. uh, you know, etc. So they were controversial figures. So they were probably um, very well known. Um, and would probably have brought people in to see the film out of curiosity, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, so anything further to add with that? I don't think so. Shall we move on to the scores on the doors? And then we'll find out what we're listening to next month, or watching next month. Listening and watching with eyes and ears both. <laughs> Indeed. We could just listen <laughs> We could just to listen. a film, yes. can we, see how that goes. <laughs> well, of course, again, we uh, we had planned uh, to actually meet up in real time later on this year and watch a film um, before yeah. we get across, to reveal our plans. Whether we'll still be locked down by that point yeah, or not, know, it's in the lap <laughs> of the gods. Well, mate, well, I was going to say, maybe God is actually telling us something. <laughs> Well, we, if, if, should that fall through, we could actually try and engineer a live watching anyway. That'd be quite fun. We should, shouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We should do, well, I think we should. But let's let's see what happens. How, how to have thoughts without, without, without pre-prepared notes. How to have original thoughts on the cafe. That should be fun. <laughs> how to react to things as you see them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I think you'd, you'd, be, you'd be quite good at... I mean, there'd be no need to kind of summarise the synopsis of the film, would there? <laughs> I mean, what would you do? Like, oh, and um, okay, so I- I- Ice T is uh, just speaking to um, a-, a-, a gang rival called Goose. Oh, go- oh my God, he's been shot! He's, <laughs> he's thrown him off. He's thrown him off the balcony. Have and you I'm seen the Mitchell? And- wow! Have you seen Mitchell and Webb do the football, the snooker commentators? No, I haven't. I'd recommend finding it on YouTube. They, they played two 70s snooker commentators, and right. most of most of their commentators, oh, and that's a bad miss. <laughs> <laughs> and they ramble on for ten minutes, and they just come back to the camera saying, "Oh, and that's another bad miss." <laughs> I'll have to watch that. Sounds good. But we, we digress, digress, though, don't we? We digress. We both agree to digress. So, we'll join us for the scores and uh, learning what we're going to watch next month. Indeed. Here we are, uh, dear listener, in the um, the the final furlong. Um, I don't know why I'm using horse racing analogy to describe a, a, a film about. Uh, gang warfare and the luster of gold but there we go um 
we're on the final furlong and um, you'll be pleased to hear that we, we've, we've reached the point at which we um, give our scores on the doors and we, we, we discover what film we're going to be watching in May. Um, episode five of volume three of Weekend at Crombie. So without further ado, as tradition befits, um, Hugh, t- take it away. What, what, what would you give Trespass? I would give Trespass three out of five floating crombie heads i've mentioned it again it lacks structure we've actually rewritten it in a way that i think i'd find very satisfying to watch as a film but there are films shouldn't we yeah (laughs) trespass 2 still trespassing Uh, but it has good performances in it there's not a single bad one in it it's a decent romp i enjoyed myself thoroughly so i think three out of five that's for me three floating crombie heads i think that's fair okay so um I uh, I um, concur with with Hugh. Um, I am also going to give it three disembodied Crombie heads. I think that it's um, it's a very flawed film in many ways, but it's still entertaining. And I think in some respects, um, if if you find a film that you can pick holes in and worry about the structure about, but still take a you know a one hour thirty nine forty minute film and enjoy it, I think actually it's done something good there. You know, so on that on that basis, I think that um, it would be remiss to give it anything less than three disembodied crombie heads. So three disembodied crombie heads, it is from Hugh and James. We're in agreement. Marvellous. And so with that, James, do you have to tell us what we'll be watching in May? Yes. So in May, um, what I have done on the basis of you choosing Trespass as the film for April, I rejigged my order. Oh, I've broken the structure. You've broken the structure. But, you know, these things are necessary sometimes. And I felt that the film I'm going to choose married quite well following on from Trespass. So in May, we will be watching the film The People Under the Stairs. The People Under the Stairs. That is the name of the film for, (laughs) for volume five. Um, sorry, Volume Three, Episode Five of Weekend at Crombies. Quick, Wes- cla- quick clarification: This isn't yeah. you getting the name of Harry Potter wrong, is it? <laughs> no, this is Wes Craven's oh my The God. People Under the Stairs. Okay, <laughs> it, it fulfills a number of criteria for me. It is my horror film okay. um, of of this season of Weekend at Crombies, um, but it's it's a um, perhaps a little bit like David Fincher's Panic Room. It's an underseen Wes Craven film. Anyway, I won't go into any more detail. Wonderful. The people end the stairs. I look forward to watching that and, in and broad daylight with all the lights on. Yeah. But hopefully when you watch it, you will see that there is some links with Trespass as well. Okie dokie. Wonderful. Well, with that in mind, uh, we will bid you adieu and, uh, and hope that we will one day emerge blinking into the light once again. But until then, I hope you have a very enjoyable weekend at Crombie's. Good evening all. Weekend at I just I generally find you're far more professional than this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna rattle us through the synopsis as well. I won't let us get bogged down in the uh, <laughs> morass. It doesn't really have much of a plot, does it? Well that 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 means nothing. Literally No, it doesn't, you're right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> with 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 the best one in the world, I think if I let you lead off, you're like we, we begin on a grainy home video shot. I think it's 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 it's, it's the camera maybe made in nineteen ninety eight. Would you say it's or is it Betamax? I'm not quite sure. <laughs>